Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. I invite you as you're being seated, go ahead and grab your Bible, go to Romans chapter 14, because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. And before we jump into that, can I just say, man, all morning I've been just reminded of how, how grateful I am for the church, just for the body of Christ. And I know maybe, maybe you're, you're new to our church, and maybe you're just trying to figure this thing out. And I'm also reminded that like going to, being a part of a church is not the same thing as attending a church. Those are not the same thing. Attending a church and being a part of a church. And can I just say, if, if you've yet to, to take that step, and I know it's hard, I know you've been burned, I know that you, being vulnerable and putting yourself, it's easy to come in here, man. I know it is, because there's a lot of people in these gatherings, and it's easy to hide, and nobody know how broken you are, or how frustrated you are, or how sinful you are, but welcome to, that's all of us. That's all of us. Can, and, and I just want to invite you to take that risk, to, to find a space outside of this room to build some relationships. Like, I'm so grateful for the, I mean, just all morning looking around and walking through the building, and I see, y'all, there are people that want to invest in you that are so much better than your pastor. People that just love Jesus and love people well. And can I just invite you into a circle to, to be with those people? And this is, this is not an announcement. This is not a plug. This is, this is me just extending an invitation to you to, to stop missing out on, on the relationships that you need. Um, even this Wednesday night is a cool opportunity for, for married couples. And we do community groups for, for all people. There, there's one for you, I promise. But can we all just agree that marriage and our culture has been under attack for a really long time, really since the garden. <laughs> Can y'all agree with me a little better? Thank you. Um, that marriage has been under attack, and, and we, we know this, and, and we have two amazing, amazingly beautiful people in Chris. Why am I crying? God, I'm such a girl. Um, uh, Chris and Nikki Foster, who want to in invest in marriages. They've invested in our marriages as a staff and my marriage. And on Wednesday night in the Marriage Couples Community Group, they're going to just have a panel of people that don't have the perfect marriage but have navigated some things and want to help couples in our church navigate things as well. So come hang out, married people. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Auditorium B. Um, your marriage will be better for it. You're, you'll be better for it. So see you Wednesday night. Now, Romans chapter 14. Go to Romans chapter 14. We have been in a series walking through the book of Romans, and man, it, it has been, it's been good. It's been good for me. It hasn't always been fun, but it's been challenging, and it's, it's stretched me in ways, as just as a communicator, as a, as a believer, as, as, as somebody that's trying to understand God deeper every single day. And, and preaching these messages has, has at times, I, I've regretted, like, why did I do this? And then I stand up here, and I preach, and God stirs something in my own spirit, and then I remember why, because I preach as much, I preach first and foremost for God, and then as much for me as I do for y'all, because God is stretching me and challenging me and pushing me in ways that, that I didn't even know I need to be pushed. God ever done that to you? Like, God ever poked you, and you'd be like, don't poke me there, and God's like, that's why I got to poke you, right, right there. And that's kind of been this series as we've been walking through, and, and we're, we're in the home stretch, and we're, we're about to finish out this letter, and then we move into the summer, and I'm just going to be sharing with you this summer a bunch of random things that have been on my heart for a long time that God's finally going to just release me to preach. We're not even going to be in a series throughout the summer. It's just going to be things that are straight out of my journal from the last couple of years, so it's going to be raw and real and like every other Sunday. 
But Romans is this beautiful book, and we've been, a few weeks ago, we, we saw Paul take this really intentional shift. When in chapter 12, he's like, okay, now that, now that you know the gospel, you gotta live it out. Because if all you know is in your head and it's not evident in your life, then you've missed the whole thing. That understanding the gospel changes the way that you live. Yeah, you're saved and your heart is his and you're gonna spend eternity in heaven, but there are a real world immediate ramifications when you truly understand and comprehend the gospel. And when you truly understand Jesus and know that now you get to live in relationship with him, it impacts the way that you live. And as Paul makes this transition from these doctrinal, theological things into this practical, real, living out faith, he reminds us, okay, keep in mind, everything that I'm gonna challenge you to do is not to earn your salvation, but as a result of your salvation. Yeah, with me say amen. And he says, in view of God's mercy, that now with, with God's mercy in constant view, with your eyes fixed on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews would say, like this is how we're gonna live out our faith. And always be reminded that a follower of Jesus, we live in response to Christ, not in the reaction to culture. That our, our life, our lifestyle, our behavior, our attitude, our actions, it's not in reaction to culture or circumstance or criticism or all the other things that you and I get caught up in. That remember, like, I don't let you, I don't let the world, I don't let social media, I don't let current events, I don't let the news dictate how I live my life. I gotta preach one more time. I can't, I can't empty the tank right here. That you live in response to Christ, church. And like, you keep that in mind. So when you encounter things and you want to react and you want to get overly emotional and you want to do all these things, remember, we're not, we're not reacting, we're responding. It's in view of what God has done, not in what that person's saying or what this thing, like we, we live in response to God. And so he unpacked all these things last week and, and there was a verse that was, we moved into chapter 13 and we reminded all that stuff about how we transition into this culture and how we react and navigate the things of our times. There's a verse that, that has stuck with me all week. And it's, the, it's chapter 13, verse 11. Like this is the one from last week that just, it, it, it became the backdrop through which I've, I've looked at Romans 14. When Paul says in verse 11 of Romans 13, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. To me, that's kind of one of those Romans 12, one kind of verses. That's another one of those verses, the, the, the lens through which we, we move forward in view of God's mercy. Like, understand, y'all, since you know the time, like, you know we're closer to Jesus coming back than we've ever been, and we're gonna be closer tomorrow than we were today. But that's supposed to strike some sense of, like, urgency that I don't know that we live with often enough. Like he's like, hey, now that you know, like, you know the gospel and you know all the, the real world application of this, live with some sense of urgency and never forget, like as a follower of Jesus, while you're going about making a living, don't forget who you live for. That you have the, the responsibility in the time in which we live that, that God, and as it says in Acts, like for, we were handpicked for this moment, for this time in history, for this place in the world. Not to, not to earn degrees or make money or have accomplishments, but to make Jesus known. That when you are found by Jesus, you help other people find Jesus. 
Like we are supposed to be this vehicle, this vessel of mercy and grace, making Jesus known to the world. And so, so let's live like it. Remember, the way that you're living out your faith, look at me, it's impacting the faith of other people. Whether you like that or not, whether it makes you uncomfortable, when you claim Christ, people are paying attention. And it's time we started paying attention to the people that are paying attention. And live in such a way that honors God and brings him glory. And as he moves into 14, I think it's at the very heart of what he's trying to get us to understand. That as a church, we cannot we should not allow things to divide and dilute the church because we got too much work to do. We got too much work to do. So, Romans chapter 14, verse 1. He says, so welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. He says, so listen, Welcome people. When he says weak in the faith, he's not meaning weak in how we often think of weak. He's saying welcome those people that, that are new. Those people that are just starting in this whole thing with Jesus. Those people who are fresh in the faith. Welcome those people. And understand that people who are infants in Jesus act like infants. That they don't know all the things that you know yet. They don't understand all this. And there's going to be moments when that's very visible. And so operate with this understanding of we're all in this together. And the body of Christ should always be a place filled with people all across the spectrum of spiritual maturity. Amen. That I'm great, I am grateful. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're here, if you don't want anything to do with Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because it's better than you're in here than other places you could be right now. Amen. And I don't know if y'all know this, but there are, there are atheists that come to our church. There are agnostic people that come to our church. There are people that don't believe in Jesus that sit in this room every Sunday, and I can't wait till they find him, I baptize them, and we're going to celebrate. And I'm going to believe in my heart that that's what's going to happen. Because I've seen it. I've watched it. And there are people that, you know what, that just met Jesus last Sunday. And so they may not act or talk like you think they should. Get over it. Our job is to come alongside them and help them grow as we are growing to come alongside. And, and Paul says, be careful not to get caught up in arguments that don't help. He says, don't argue about disputable matters. Don't argue about disputed matters. Now, for Paul to tell us not to argue about disputed matters must mean there are some things that are disputable. That there are some things, believe it or not, that we as fellow followers of Jesus may not, will not, don't have to agree on. And he's saying, when you find yourself in those places of things that are disputable, don't argue about those things. Don't fight with each other about those things. And this is a conversation that we've had since the onset of our church. That there's a reality that we have to lean into, that it creates tension, and I know it does. There are things that are essential, and there are things that are non-essential. And the church has been arguing over which goes in which list for a really long time. But as we read through Scripture, you cannot deny there are things that are absolutely essential to our faith. That if you start to change and diverge and move in any direction, the whole thing begins to unravel. Like the supremacy of Christ, 
him being the only way to heaven, that there is no name other than his by which we can be saved, that we get one life and then we stand before him and must give an account. Like there are some essential things that we must grip with a closed fist, but then there are some non-essential things that we must hold in an open hand. And the problem is, Throughout history, there are people that want to put everything in the closed fist or leave everything in the open hand, and both are dangerous. And so that begs the question, all right, Pastor, like, how do we decide? It's a great question. That, too, we argue about. But this is what I know. There are things that if we're going to make them in a closed fist, if they're going to be essential and not in the non-essential bucket, if they're going to be the things that we have to hold tight to, they have to be the things that are supported from Genesis to Revelation without exception, without nuance, and they are universal. And it doesn't matter if it's 1902 or 3032. They're universal for all of us for all time. And that's why it's important to know all of the Bible. Because there are times when, when God says things from Genesis through Revelation and there are rules without exception. And there's times when there is things that have some nuance. And the Bible never contradicts itself. You have to understand context and culture in which these things were written in order to figure out how we lived them out and apply them. And for those of you who are already pushing back, you're not pushing back because you didn't greet a single person with a holy kiss when you walked in the room. So you understand that there are some nuanced things. And we have to, at times, dig in for the essential things. And there are moments when we have to have intense conversations about what is essential. But there are times when the non-essential things become the dividing points. And we decided a long time ago that we're just going to be a church that we're not going to fight over those things. I'm not going to argue with you about the fact that I wear jeans to preach in. Bye. Just not going to argue that. But there are some things that I will dig my hands in, and we will have to have conversations. But knowing those two things, and church, the reason what's, what's hurt our ability to accomplish our mission is our unwilling to properly navigate those things. To lean into what is essential, what is non-essential, what are hard lines for all of us, and then what fall under the category of what we've always labeled kind of personal convictions. But how you go about deciding what is essential and what's not essential, what are hard lines that every follower of Jesus needs to submit to, and what are things that fall into personal conviction, they matter. And the essentials of our faith must be built on God's word. And the one thing that we can't do to decide what's essential is pre-decide what's essential and then go to God's word to prop up what we already decided. Because that's what we tend to do. This is what I want God to mean. This is what I want him to say. This is what I want him to be true. Let me go to God's word, then I'll just prove it. And God's looking at me like, y'all getting this backwards. Because you don't decide and then goes to God's word. You go to God's word, then you decide. And what gets the church in trouble is when we get that paradigm out of order. And we make these preconceived notions and then we go to the word and pick out a few verses to prop up what we want to be true. But Paul is going to lean into this conversation about personal convictions and how we live them out. And he's going to challenge us in some ways that's going to get uncomfortable. You ready? 
Romans chapter 14. Go to verse 2. It says, one person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. I'm kind of in that anything category. Anybody else with me? Okay. Number th- uh, verse 3. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another, while someone else judges every day to be the same each Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. And now evidently, the two things that were creating the most tension, in, at least in the, maybe in the Roman church or maybe in Paul's day, was arguments over what we could eat and what we could not eat and which days were holy and which days weren't. But Paul very quickly says, wherever you land, be sure not to think that where you land somehow makes you more spiritually superior than people who land in a different place than you do. Let me just give it to you the way I wrote it in my notes. We must avoid the temptation to feel a sense of spiritual superiority based on where we have landed on non-essential things. Because that's what we've done in the church. Well, we're better than you because we wear better clothes or we do this or we do that. We see it and we're all proper. That was judgy. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. What he's saying is avoid the temptation to feel a sense of spiritual superiority based on where you have landed on the non-essential things. And that begs the question, how do we decide not only where we land on essential, non-essential things, but how we exercise the liberty that we have and the freedom that we have in Christ? Because it's not just an important question about like, how we decide what's essential and what's not essential. Look at me. Another thing that's super important is how do we decide when and where and how we exercise the things that are non-essential? how we lean into the things that are personal conviction. Because deciding what's essential and what's non-essential is only part of the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus. How we exercise that freedom, how we step into the things and when we step into the things that are considered personal conviction are also important. Does that make sense? Y'all talk to me. Like how you exercise the things, how you participate in what you've determined is personal conviction is important because it's not just a matter of this is essential, this is non-essential. And those non-essential things, those things that we have freedom to do, the way that we operate in those things is important because they have an impact on other people. And so that leads to this question. All right, when you've decided something is personal conviction, How did you make that determination? And what most of us do, including myself, falls short of what I think God is calling us to in his word. Because we like, will it send me to hell? Nope, I'm gonna do it. It's quiet because everybody's like, dude, he's right. That's kind of, is it sinful? Like, that's, that's the limit that we've, that we've drawn. Is it sinful? And can I just say, Paul and all of the New Testament is gonna call us to elevate that standard in a way that many of us may not want, but we probably should. Because if we're gonna follow Jesus, I want to and I can, 
are not enough. That when we're stepping into that personal conviction area and, and we're trying to decide on things we're going to do, and things we're going to participate, and what places we're going to abstain, I want to and I can are not enough, church. They're not enough. I think God is calling us to a higher standard than just, I want to do that. It will be fun. It will be fulfilling. It will make me laugh. I'm not going to go to hell for it, so I'm going to do it. I want to and I can fall short of the calling that God, God has put on our lives if we're going to be the vessel for his glory that he's meant us to be. And there's a phrase that was littered in those verses that I just read that I hope, I hope you didn't miss. One of the things that I, that I want you to, as you're reading the Bible, you need to pay attention to words and phrases, especially in certain portions of Scripture that are repeated. Like, our staff will tell you, Matt doesn't say a whole lot of things. He says a whole lot of the same things a lot. Because I believe that repetition gets replicated. So if it's important, you say it often. You say it often. You say it often. You say, just when you, you've said it to you, think you're going to throw up, say it one more time. If it's that important. And there's a phrase that is littered in the verses I just read and continued in the verses that I'm about to read that I want you to notice. Moving to verse seven. It says, for none of us lives for himself. And no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the living and the dead. Did you notice that? There are several times in those handful of verses where that phrase, for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord, is repeated multiple times. And it's a reminder that everything we do, we have the responsibility to do for the Lord. So that, that automatically changes the standard. It, as a follower of Jesus, we can't just say, I want to and I can. We have to say, we have to remember, like I'm doing this for the Lord. And if I'm doing this for the Lord, is what I'm about to do, is it gonna really bring him the most glory? And what if that's a, that's a question that elevates the standard unlike other? What, any other? What am I about to do? Is what I'm about to do really going to bring glory to God? Is what I'm about to say really going to bring glory to God? Is what I'm about to participate in, is the place I'm about to go, is it the most God-glorifying choice I can make? And if it's not, why would I make any other choice? Why would I ever choose something less than for the God who's done everything for me? So when I stand at these moments where I get, I have liberty to exercise my freedom in Christ and lean into what is not essential but is, is non-essential and exercise personal conviction, how I live that out does not begin with, do I want to? Can I? It begins with, will this bring God glory? I know what you're thinking. Damn, Matt, I get that like in big things. I, but like all the time, in every conversation, in every place, yes. Why? Because I think whatever you do, you should do for the glory of God. Why do I think that? Because it says it like a million times in the Bible. 
Let me, can, I, can I show you? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, giving no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Moving to Colossians chapter 3, twice it says this. Look at verse 17 first. And whatever you do, whatever you do, that Greek word there means whatever. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now stay in chapter 3 of Colossians and drop down to verse 23. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. We have to lean into God's word and find the, the wisdom and the discernment from it to determine those essential things and those non-essential things. What we grip with a closed fist and what we hold in an open hand and those things that we get to do in liberty as followers of Christ in his freedom and his grace, those, personal, those things that come down to personal conviction, how we exercise personal conviction should be predicated not on what we want or what we can do, but look at me, on what will bring God the most glory. Think about how much that changes your life from start to finish. And think about how different it would be, how much more impact we could have as the church, as followers of Christ, if we elevated that standard. And why do I think we should elevate that standard? It's because we serve a Jesus who elevated the standard when he stepped into the world. He said, oh, you've heard don't commit adultery. I say, be careful how you look at other people. He elevated the standard for his followers to live in such a way and with an awareness of the impact of their actions. And that's another thing that we have to take into account. We have to pay attention to the people that are paying attention and when we live out our faith and we exercise personal conviction, how and when we do that is impacting other people. That's not me saying it. Go back into Romans 14. Verse 10 said, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Let that soak in for a second. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Then listen to this. Instead, instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. Paul says, as you're living in liberty in Christ, as you're walking and exercising your faith in his mercy and grace, and as you're walking out the things that are not essential but are in personal conviction, make a decision to never set a stumbling block in front of your brother and sister, never to live in such a way that your actions pull people away from Christ instead of pushing them toward him. 
that as followers of Jesus, look at me, we have a responsibility to live with an awareness of our actions and their impact on other people. Look at Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Paul's saying, watch yourself. Because the way that you're living out your faith, especially in the realm of exercising personal conviction, how you're approaching those things, those actions have an impact on other people. So take notice and do not hear what I'm not saying. People say, well, I don't care what people think. I get that. This is not about being consumed by what other people think. It's about being concerned about your actions and how they're perceived. Okay, let me say it like this. I'm not saying get consumed with other, what other people think about you. What I'm saying is be concerned about the impact of what's done by you. That don't get consumed with what people think about you, but live with an awareness of the impact of what's done by you. Because it makes a difference. Go back into Romans 14. He says, choose a better way. He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it's unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. He says, don't destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, is, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. He says, don't let what you, what you have the freedom to do be exercised in such a way that it tears down ultimately the greater good that God's trying to do in the world. Look at me. There are two things to, that I believe are the greatest commodities that we have as human beings. Listen, the first one is time. Time is, you can make more money, you will never be able to make more time. That's why in Romans 13, he says, now's the time, pay attention to time. Time is probably your greatest com commodity. You know what's second? Your influence. If you're going to live on mission for Jesus, don't toss your influence away for something unworthy. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you can do that, but is that thing worthy of diluting the influence that you have for God's glory, for his name, and for his kingdom? And there have been times in my life when I've tossed away my influence for something a lot less valuable. And I've had to live with the consequences of it. And so have you. And Paul says, so then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Verse 22, 
Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Whoo. But then he says, but whoever doubts and stands condemned, whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin. So as Paul finishes this chapter, he gives us some insight into when we're standing in that moment. And yes, we can. And yes, we want to. And yes, if we do, there's nothing inherently sinful about that action. He says in that moment, you need to raise the standard, elevate the motivation to think beyond just I want to and I can. To live with an awareness of our actions on other people, not because we're worried about what they think about us, but because we understand the ramifications of what's done by us and our ability to make Jesus known being squelched by the way that we live out our personal convictions. And he says, when you find yourself in that moment, he says, when in doubt, don't. He says, when in doubt, don't. He said, there's a question, don't. And look at me, I'm not, I know this can get really sideways in a hurry. And I'm not trying to box us into some new form of legalism. I can't stand that. But what I'm saying is, maybe, just maybe, we need to be more aware of how we're exercising that freedom we've been given in Jesus. Thinking about the ultimate authority in our lives and what we want to see in him. And it's something I always used to, I did student ministry for a while. Y'all pray for them. Matt, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? There's a better question. The better question is not, is this sinful? The better question is, is this wise? Is this God honoring? Does it glorify him? There's twice in 1 Corinthians that Paul reminds us, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. And no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Let's raise the standard. Let's be the church. For everybody who calls Venice Church home, let's be the group of people that says, we're gonna live to a higher standard. Not because we're better than anybody, but because we understand the value of our influence and we have a world out there that needs Jesus and we're not just gonna toss our influence away. We're not just gonna toss away our ability to lead them to Christ over something that's not important. Something that I don't need to live or to function or live out my faith. So where do you need to make changes? Where do I need to make changes? Somebody told me this week that they've been praying this prayer and kind of dared me to do it with them. And when you pray this prayer, it's a prayer that David prayed. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I'm gonna leave you with this. It's it's Psalm 139. It's verses 23 and 24. And this is what I'm gonna ask you to do. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. This is what I'm gonna ask you to pray, okay? I'm gonna ask you to pray some scripture for a minute, okay? Search me, God and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Will you have the courage to pray that? Search me, Lord. Search me. Is there anything that I can do that I shouldn't be doing? Is there any place that I'm exercising the freedom that you've given me in a way that's detrimental to the ultimate calling that you've put on my life? Is there places that I'm choosing something that has no value 
and it's ruining the valuable influence that you've given me. Just have the courage to pray that prayer and then follow wherever God leads. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just asking you to pray. Search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, that's our prayer. Search us, God. That, God, we want to be the vessels of grace and the instruments of love and the voice of hope that you've called us to be. And, God, we are so grateful that we don't live in this legalistic bound by law. We have the freedom in your grace and your mercy. But, God, help us never to exercise that freedom in a way that does detriment to your name. God, help us to never be a stumbling block, but always be a stepping stone, helping people find hope and faith in you. And God, I pray that as we search, ask you to search us, that we would listen to your voice and that we would have such determination to respond to that conviction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We'd love to hear from you. Hit that respond tab on the Venice Church app. Let us know how we can come alongside you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.